0: Um, when they asked, I sort of, I didn't know a whole lot about the Arrival Cities framework, and so I use this talk as an opportunity to think through some of the things that I've worked on and the potential for broader political applications in terms of that framework. And I think in general, I have less faith in the market or in urban modernization than, than does Saunders. And thus, I think there's something here for me to say about what the project can tell us about that framework. So I think there are a number of questions that are go unanswered that are sort of assumed there. I want to sort of think through. Uh, What about unevenness? What about tendencies in capital to differentiate and to equalize at different scales? Are rural and urban these kind of static categories? And what do open markets do? Are they open? And what about wider logic? So I think this is something that Claudio did really well two weeks ago. I mean, he demonstrated that ideas of freedom Freedom from certain forms of labor or certain market relations exists within a wider political economic context. And freedom in in his framework is plastic, and it doesn't mean freedom from capitalism, because after all, people are free to sell their labor, but it's not much of a choice. So I did my dissertation fieldwork on a huge new town development in the West Bank called uh, Urowabi, which is being built for 40,000 Palestinians there. Um, And I think that the case of Palestine today and the creation of new forms of market relations tied to urban immigration, or if not immigration, then some kind of growth, can help sort of understand this framework. And so here in this paper today I've brought together some parts of my dissertation research that I think speak to this and some other few words here and there. Put another way, and I mean I sort of wrote this thinking about Claudio's work and the free market stuff in Saunders. Part of neoliberalism is about freedom, but, and about freedom from restriction, uh, and for some, in my case, perhaps even freedom from cumbersome social and political ties. Uh, there is, as Neil, Neil Smith described, a universalism embedded in the empire of capitalism that's contributing towards the kinds of outward-looking aspirations that my Newtown development uh, and places like it can encourage. The liberalism and neoliberalism operate simultaneously with the freedom of the market, and in Palestine, neoliberal capitalist changes produce freedoms to operate in piecemeal, contingent, and circumscribed ways. So I think you know we can think through what that means for immigration. But this is nevertheless a kind of freedom, and between that freedom and restriction, humans intervene in relation to, and in order to change, forms of freedom and restriction. Under occupation, the bar is pretty low. Freedom is the relative absence of restriction. And class and personal aspiration are produced in space and in new places either distant from or close to the occupation they're emerging through economic intervention and markets that are mutually constituted by the state emerging around and through them states incre- increasingly involved in daily economic life at multiple scales so concretely what are rural and urban in this situation and what does immigration look like if movement politics and econ- and, econ- and economies pardon me are limited by occupation so I just ask you know what forces might limit ambition? Uh, what does it mean for that framework when the structural conditions are designed to stifle people in economics? So a brief introduction to sort of my wider work, and then I'll talk about the housing development itself. So today, the appearance of growth and descriptions of political change and stability often contradicts the reality on the ground in Palestine. Yet those appearances and the practices that surround them go a long way in producing stability and, order, and orienting future interventions in Palestine. In the Middle East characterized by widespread resistance to autocratic governments, resistance that has often been inspired by the Palestinian struggle against occupation, Ramallah might be, in some ways and for some people, the most secure place in the region, although we'll see what happens this week. Um, even, within the, even within the unstable context of occupation, Israeli and Palestinian elites are working on projects to produce new, stable relationships between the West Bank and Israel with political economic mechanisms. Israel has long tried to outsource the directly violent parts of the occupation and maximize the distance between Israelis and Palestinians. And today, in some places, the distance between Palestinians and the occupation is being created by Palestinians working to produce spaces and opportunities that seem ever more distant from it politically, ideologically, and economically. In Lidawabi, the Housing Development is the largest initiative and a representative example of the kinds of new sites in and new forms of governance over parts of the West Bank. And it is part of a wider Palestinian international project for stability, through capital accumulation. So I interviewed ordinary people, I focused also on mid and high level bureaucrats working in both public and private sectors on this project. Uh, Mine is a study of current state economy building projects in Palestine and the people, networks of actors, and class coalitions that are working on projects to create new markets, new forms of politics, and I think a new polity uh, under the rubric of state building. The state here is a continuous project and a perpetual formation, a social relation, a form-determined condensation of the changing balance of forces in political and politically relevant struggle. Uh, That's from Palantzis. In the wider work, I discuss the ways that the current state-building project is happening and how it's aided by and enhances the current form of political and legal governance. The project to create an independent state in Palestine is a practice more likely to maintain the occupation than to dismantle it or circumvent it, regardless of whether a nation-state is achieved formally or territorially. And I have a long argument about why it's possible and appropriate to think of it as a state that a lot of people disagree with, but I think that the process and the project is the, the point here. The Palestinian Authority in Israel, along with the Palestinian capitalist class backed by international aid, are actively trying to create the economic and political stability necessary to ensure accumulation organized by the idea of that eventual state. The process of state building and what emerges around and through that process is as relevant as whatever may or may not ultimately result. It unfolds over time and space and emerges in specific places through the actions of these various actors and coalitions, but the form it takes is not absolute. And the outcome is the struggle, the outcome of the struggles and projects to form it. Success or failure of the state and the goals relevant actors have in mind are important, but I think it's the aggregated acts of working to make a state and the ongoing cycle of political intervention and strategies organized around the idea of the state that shape what is happening in Palestine today. And those practices orient what might happen in the future. So those actors have certain forms of capital, political and financial capital and uh, other kinds, to work to create new markets and new places like this housing development where they attempt to influence and cultivate consumers for those markets. At the international scale, aid is being reconfigured as funding for the private sector through the government. In relation to the growing privatization and exhausting political and social circumstances, consumers are taking on increased debt burdens for the chance to live in that new town. Those loans are backed by international aid organizations insulating lenders as part of the political imperative to keep Palestine stable. Almost as an aspect, Palestine, the idea of Palestine, the administration of Palestine, Palestine, today suspended by and within Israeli political, economic, and geographic imperatives. I think many forms of human intervention, international aid, and global investment, local projects, and forms of agency work to differentiate the two, yet maintain them as part of the same whole. Private development and state and economy building today is one such project. Uh, That's why this housing development is such a big deal months and years before anyone has moved in. For different types of people, uh, it's already become an idea and a site on which to hang new forms of political organization, economic investment, and class aspiration that had previously lacked clear forms or outlets. And although there's there's constant movement, the process has a stabilizing function at the scale of its relationship with its political an economic agency exists within, against, and helps to continuously make and remake various structures and constraints that form this specific state. International political economy and events at different scales can throw people's lives into disarray. So what are the consequences of attempting to create stability in a colonized territory through foreign investment class consolidation and capital accumulation? What will emerge in the broader context of occupation is unchanged by individual practice, is increasingly what will change uh, as individual practice is increasingly oriented towards servicing debt? The answer is murky and scattershot. First of all, uh, as aid has been reconfigured as investment, it also goes to provide loan guarantees and to insulate the banks from potential default. This in turn makes foreign investment in housing development feasible. Risk is minimized in the name of political economic development, but it also ports, points towards questions of social change and class. There's little consensus on what exactly the middle class consists of in Palestine, Uh, The sociologist, Jameel Hilal, who's sort of the primary uh, guy who talks about the middle class in Palestine, um, says that 38% of Palestine is middle class is defined by a unity of cultural values. There's also the argument that in the absence of productive sectors and without a working class, all of Palestinians are middle class. There is the opposite argument that given the economic difficulties in occupied economy, it's not worthwhile to describe any Palestinians as middle class. So it's rather vague. Um, but the middle class invoked here means essentially two things. First, the kinds of people who mostly live in Ramallah and are well-educated workers in the PA or development sectors, or potential employees of the high-tech sector, long-dreamed by uh, the kinds of people who are developing these places. <coughs> Second, and perhaps most importantly, it refers to a potential and aspirational class. The people targeted by these projects and with the desire to orient themselves, families, and lives in relation to the political, economic, and consumerist promises that they make. The idea of this housing development Rawabi, and the fact of it provides a site for the spatialization of middle class defined by defined through it. It enables the potential for consolidation of that class in a specific site. So start to talk about the site itself. I can that's a joke for people who can read it. Um uh, well, there are two restaurants, uh, the economic and I can't see it from here, and the nation restaurant, which is sort of a bad translation, but it's a good joke. <laughs> and um, my joke is that the the wall between them should be knocked down in today's Palestine. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I will, well, something to look at. So the site is, uh, you know, the Nawabi is today, or last I visited last year, um, a huge, dusty construction site spread over several hills about nine kilometers north of the and formally approved by the Higher Planning Council on June 23, 2009. For the first several years of construction, the drive there consisted of a of bottleneck after bottleneck. You would drive through a checkpoint over a narrow bridge, winding through a couple villages, weaving through closures, hills, towns, and catching <coughs> glimpses of the landscape beyond over the hills. Developers had placed signs for miles down the road indicating where it was. Uh, some ways further in the direction you were traveling. <clears throat> On my first trips in, you know, to sort of start this particular project in 2009, in order to get there, you had to take a windy, steep road, the Biazet road, and then go a few minutes past the university uh, and take a left towards Artara. After a few minutes, the road widens and becomes the checkpoint there. And the checkpoint blocks the entrance to the restricted road 465, which could, connects Ramallah to Nablus and points north, and then the other to the narrow bridge that begins a narrow road towards the villages beyond it. And although the checkpoint was ostensibly decommissioned in 2009, it still exists and appears to be staffed constantly, uh, giving not only the appearance of Israeli presence, but also the ability to close the roads at any time. Historically, that checkpoint has been a primary mechanism through which Israel has prevented Palestinian students from entering the Yibzeh. This is something that is sort of potentially important later with this road issue that I can talk about. Um, I'll mention later. At the turnoff to Rawabi, the the West Bank would sort of open above the central square, immediately giving a sense for for the mass of the site. As part of the Oslo Accords, the West Bank was carved into areas A, B, and C, which are respectively areas of Palestinian civil and military control, Palestinian civil and Israeli military control, and total Israeli control, respectively. Area C makes up more than 60% of the West Bank, although the degree of actual Palestinian control in the other areas is far from absolute. The development, placed, the development, which is placed in Area B and in the middle of so-called rural Palestine, contrasts substantially with its surroundings, uh, the environment both built and unbuilt. The, this is a quote from them. From the ancient hills of Palestine, a new modern city is said to be emerging. Uh, one developer told me only slightly ironically that it's the first city built in Palestine since Herod. It's portrayed as part of the landscape, both forward-looking and indebted to the past, a good steward of natural Palestine and Palestinians, and it's designed to give the impression that it's been there forever, but also to look like a distinctly new form, habitable, <coughs> habitable place, and typology. Um, after the Israeli civil administration conditionally approved a new access road, visitors now circumvent the checkpoint and drive directly from Ramallah through Beit to the site. Uh, the new r- route turns—pardon uh, turns, me—the new route turns the ride through Palestine into sort of like one long Palestinian checkpoint that enters the site from below and it opens up above you. So here are some pictures of it. Uh, This is the map showing sort of where it is, how close it is to everything. I think it's notable that Tel Aviv is on the map and it's part of that same landscape, Amman. This is the sort of central construction zone. This is the Higher Planning Council map, again hopefully just to give a sense for its scale. The sort of bottom two light blue concentric circles are what we just saw in the two photos ago. Uh, This is the boundary of it. So the site is this 850,000 square meter thing on the right, and they have planning authority over an enormous area, um, far beyond (coughs) it and far beyond what they actually own. Uh, This is their stone cutting plant, I think also helps to give a sense for the scale of the place. Uh, That's it in last summer. Uh, more of it last summer. The scale model. Uh, the scale center. Oh, let's stop there. So according to developers, uh, the name, the name means hills. It's sort of an archaic term for hills. Was submitted to a contest to name the development. The site sits on 6,300 dunums, which I showed you, on the hills between the villages of Ajur, Atara, and Agwain, about a kilometer from the settlement of Atarat. Uh, much of the land in the West Bank is not formally registered, and there are many plausible claims to plots of land. Uh, the, foot, the footprint of the site, of the housing development, will sit on approximately 800 dunums, uh which the developers have sometimes call the first phase of the project. I think they envision sort of massive developments in the area. Uh, and, the com- and the company has planning authority, planning jurisdiction over the 6,300 dunum outline uh, of quote-unquote isolated land, natural blocks already marked by hills, rocks, and use patterns. According to the company, developers bought much of the land, but not all of it. The rest was re-parcelized by the PA based on existing Jordanian uh, land law, which is something like eminent domain. And although there was some dispute about whether or not Rawabi will comprise an official municipality at the beginning, uh, it seemed likely the company claimed there were ongoing negotiations between it and the leadership of the villages. Uh, by 2013, the municipality had been created and was being most re- being run, pardon me, mostly by representatives of private of the private sector. It was headed by an NGO leader, but was mostly business people, mortgage financiers, private sector engineers, so um, people who have a different kind of a stake than what governments look like. The municipal structure will allow the company the ability not only to control zoning in the area, but also to collect taxes. So the site has views of the West Bank on three sides and the settlement of the fourth. It's advertised as the, Pal- the first Palestinian city, uh, the first planned city, pardon me, in Palestine. And the hope is that it will eventually house 40,000 people. Uh, it's being built at an initial cost of $500 million from Palestinian and Qatari investors, a number that is continuously revised upwards and now is probably around a billion dollars. Uh, so the idea of middle class, the idea of it, or affordable housing, is central to the way that the project is being conceived and sold, and the idea is that it will establish not only a new urban environment, but a new style of life for Palestinian inhabitants. The company describes a Palestinian desire for stability and security from the present political situation, but also from Palestinians, from the constantly changing Palestinian urban form, given not only the encroachment of settlements, but also the fact that Palestinian building in other cities, they say, is sort of like zoneless and lawless. There's no guarantee, supposedly, that a neighbor won't eventually build a taller building next year is blocking your views. Uh, The developers strive to project stability and certainty and growth. They claim they'll create jobs and jumpstart numerous sectors of the economy such as building materials and uh, especially a new real estate market. In the new market, the idea of this this being a city that will serve young families, first time buyers, is central. Developers hope for new habits among Palestinians where buyers will move to new homes rather than expanding on, say, a family building and they're creating new mortgage financing to enable it. And there's enthusiasm. One person I spoke with, a potential buyer and former employee, has discussed it explicitly in terms of modernity, a desire for services like TV on demand, and and said that she thought it would be like a little Dubai in Palestine. Uh, But it's also tied closely to the image of Palestine that uh, that resonates with, with lots of Palestinians, people in the diaspora and so on, and against the logics of the occupation. It's, you know, of Palestine, natural, green, and so on. So the represent, excuse me, the representations that the company produces are important, uh, in their project to model a new Palestine and like the state building project to provide the image and attempt to orient reality around a set of practices around it. And the ways that that image organizes practice are, I think, just as fundamental to what's happening in the hills north of Jerusalem. So I mean, from the beginning of the project in 2008 or 2009, through, uh, through advertising word of mouth, uh, and also, through critiques and academic papers and people grousing about it, the company had really pierced the public imaginary long before there was any place to point to the first re- the first representations were the three d renderings of the clean town with the functioning transportation and opportunities for shopping banks, doctors, and so on. there was a video that circulated that asked implicitly what might it be like to have a Palestine without the occupation where you know the private sector is constantly talking about how Palestinians, if Palestinians were allowed to fear, to flourish, and if the market were actually open, they would flourish, pardon me. And indeed, the, the place apart is powerfully appealing to many people. It ties class aspiration to a view of life without occupation. So by the spring of 2010, the site had, had only just been graded, giving a great sense of the scale of the place, and uh, you know, some temporary buildings had set up. By, by 2013, it had really begun to take shape, and it's sort of nearing the more completely now. So I wanted to just show these about the representation. The scale model that I showed before by accident. And this is the sales center, it's you know, nice and clean and new. So for certain individuals and in certain classes in the West Bank today, attention is emerging between the des- that desire for normal- normalcy and stability, new sites that offer the image and promise of normalcy and stability, and instability and unease under occupation. The structural conditions there make politics and the occupation a necessary consideration in all manner of personal decisions, family decisions, and they're why, uh, why the creation of an actual place, a physical space like this, and other new developments that explicitly imagine Palestine without occupation are crucial for enabling new kinds of economic calculations and practices among West Bank Palestinians and the diaspora too properly. New developments give Palestinians the form and a context to imagine and reimagine personal relationships to wider politics. So I contrast attitudes among potential buyers with residents and political leaders of the villages surrounding it. Specifically, I examine the ways, this is in the next section, I examine the ways that both groups conceive of their relationship to Palestine and to their futures in terms of the changing built environment, and I ask how do different people participate in these new visions and places in different ways? How are they incorporated? And if Rawabi represents one possible direction that Palestine is moving politically, nationally, socially, how does that vision diverge from and converge with others? Uh, So in the first part of this section, I'll kind of describe using one one good example, uh, how middle class potential buyers see an increasing possibility to modernize into a depoliticized lifestyle in the West Bank, while the villagers who provide one of the main images of Palestinian identity and much of the actual land for the site are excluded. In the second, I focus on critiques that presuppose an agrarian political identity and argue that developers and critics share ideas of Palestinian nature that obscure political and economic histories of the West Bank, land, labor, and market integration, and have the potential to enable this vision of modernization. So here's, well, here's a good example of a potential buyer. Uh, I talked to this guy named Saleh Norman, uh, who's a potential buyer, and who's been an active participant and informal booster since nearly, nearly the beginning of the project. Uh, he met uh, market researchers at one of the upscale supermarkets in the, the Bravo supermarket, in 2005. And since then, he says 2005. And since then, has worked with and participated in focus groups with them every few months. Uh, he's an IT specialist with the Cooperative Housing Foundation, CHF, an NGO that works on housing issues and home buyer education there. Um, and he's thus well versed in this kind of housing politics and supports new forms of development. He says it all comes down to the necessity to own, to stop renting. Which he understands as an indicator of and a contributor to his personal instability. For him, the West Bank, in the West Bank, owning is essential, both because rents in the market are high and because he wants to stabilize as many aspects of his life and his work as possible. He tends to work in three-month project-based contracts, uh, and he believes that new loans will give him, his wife, and his six children the ability to own, own a new home, which will in turn insulate them from economic instability and rapid changes in the rental market. Mortgages against the new apartment will allow them to occupy it immediately, and the borrowing itself gives him, he thinks, immediate stability in a home that would otherwise have to come only at the end of years of saving. So despite his short-term contracts, he barely mentioned the potential complications that could emerge from from taking on massive debt. Uh, He wants change that is both immediate and lasting, and accumulating debt gives him both. The mortgage apartment will bring stability, he says, and he feels like it's time to move away from Ramallah and from quote no system and in chaos into a new modern house uh, without the same disadvantages of Ramallah. He says that the city has not, that Ramallah has not been able to co- to cope with the growth after the Oslo Accords, with the proliferation of NGOs, uh, the sort of return of the people who became the PA, the return of the PA itself, and the immigration of Palestinian workers like him. A move to the new city will be a move away from crowds and to good functioning services in a neighborhood. He says he currently pays $400 a month to rent an apartment in five floors and 20 units, which is pretty low. Um, His building is already large and cumbersome, uh, almost like a neighborhood, he says, but it's severely underserved, because it's a building. And it was built in an area without planning and zoning, Uh, the roof (coughs) loops, and he endures the conditions because finding another rental in the current market would be, quote, a financial catastrophe, he used that word catastrophe. Um, He continues that Rawabi will give him a bigger, cheaper place with a modern layout. There'll be public space and greenery for kids, strong IT infrastructures, schools, hospitals, movement, and, quote, calmness and quietness. His neighbors uh, and the similar prospective consumers uh, will be engineers, doctors, and the middle to upper classes. Um, The infrastructure will be superior, Transportation will be superior, the streets will be better, there'll be better distribution of services, water, sewer, electrical, communication system, and so on. And he says while there are, quote, a lot of obstacles, if it is done as planned, it will be excellent. From an IT perspective, he says it will be, quote, just delightful. Uh, he is already thinking of, I, I like him, uh, he's already thinking about the, the potential for change, the potential for a different life, and he thinks that the, this new city is going to give him a framework to imagine it. He's really enthusiastic about it and the plan, and he, he, quote, plans to move in, even though he had yet to visit the site when we talked, I think in 2010, was the last time I talked to him. His ties to the firm, his excitement, and his kids are the result of the, the commercials and the advertisements, the 3D rendering, and so on. And he knows that the political climate is uncertain, but he insists that it's not a political project because it's a private initiative. And although he is himself, quote, politically neutral, he does worry that he'll be an ongoing consumer rather than an owner. Will the Israelis stall the project, he asks? But in the end, the draw of individual stability and the desire to extract stability from an unstable situation is is stronger. He imagines that that the city itself will be stable, wealthy, and part of the specific character of Palestine, and and that it offers potential buyers an alternate future, or at least it offers them a long-term commitment. So people obviously are critiquing this quite a lot. When I asked the different potential buyers about critiques, uh, both generally and in terms of normalization of the occupation, she said, quote, Palestinians only (coughs) like whining. And she suggested that instead they should go and do something rather than criticize. For her, the national dimensions of the politics are about the ability to do something simply rather than doing nothing. And she suggested the wider occupation does not necessarily play a role in the development. The developers, she says, don't care about A, B, and C. They they have, she thinks, the power, if they want a road, they'll get it. For the developers, the project, the Nawabi, constitutes politics because it refuses to concede the occupation. And not only will they circumvent the occupation, but they'll benefit themselves and their target populations. National politics for them are less relevant uh, and to potential buyers than the personal, economic, and lifestyle choices and imperatives. It's framed as a national investment in Palestine, but. According to both developers and potential buyers, it will resist the occupation by giving by giving a normal and better life. And people think, you know, the, the first potential buyer thinks that, you know, if he leaves his house at 7 a.m., he won't encounter checkpoints. He'll be able to get to work by 7.30. Uh, and that's sort of the extent of the anti-occupation politics. It's transformed into support for privatization in order to overcome the contradictions between the realities of the present and the day after. So this is a the how they are cultivating demand and uh, targeting a middle class. This is, I'll talk more about demand. This is what uh, Habitat wants them to do. Again, I think sort of the last one, they're talking about there being demand for this. Um, So this project is developed, is uh, at least in part organized around the idea that the middle class and putative middle class Palestinians will modernize out of political context in ways that are uniquely Palestine, but also specifically tied to Palestine. Uh, Palestinians and villages surrounding the site understand its creation potential and their own present and future differently. Uh, three villages surround Rawabi and, uh, have, and have had land taken as part of its planning unit, uh, the villages I mentioned before, Hajul, Abouin, and Atara. I'm gonna give, uh, here's, here's my example for the talk, it's from Atara and uh, how some villagers and uh, see their lives as increasingly unstable because of the development. So a dominant national narrative centers around the idea that Palestinians are, at heart, a rural population living in villages and experiencing a long dislocation as a result of Zionist colonization. Bracketing what's, what is exactly meant by rural and urban, the Palestinian Central Bureau of Statistics, the PCBS, states that in the Ramallah and Elmida area, nearly 55% of Palestinians live in urban environments, nearly 40% in rural environments, and just more than 5% in camps. These categories are defined by population density and access to hospitals, schools, and other public services, rather than on labor or the environment. And they might tell us more about the occupation planning and the occupation geographies than about labor or types to the land. Abu'an and Artada have populations less fewer than 3,000, and slightly more than 1,000. These small towns are hooked into electrical and sewage grids, and by and large, they have indoor kitchens, bathrooms, uh, access to local schools and clinics. This is all from the PCBS. Just trying to figure out what is meant by a village. In late twenty ten, uh, near the end of my research, uh, the sort of main part of research, I, I had a huge amount of data and proprietary information, uh, and I was beginning to sort of form the argument about economic and physical restructuring in Palestine. And I spoke with the then president of the Arad mm-hmm. Municipality and his colleague uh, at the municipal building there. The building was sort of a dusty reminder of the the, the waning era of international aid for public works. It was big, empty, uh, probably unnecessary, and funded by USAID. When I first described my research, the president told me about how Rawabi is, quote-unquote, a national project that will be good for job creation, for encouraging foreign investment, and for providing good housing. Then he clarified, that is the PA perspective. The position shared by the president, uh, him, oh no, pardon me, the, the, the actual president of the PA, and the Ministry of Local Government, uh, and the one they implement, that's what he said. Uh, he reiterated that this was, quote, the position of the government, both to make clear that this is a decision that has been made elsewhere, and also to feel out my willingness to hear critique because of the way this thing has been so understood and talked about. He continued, the PA, the US, and Israel support it. Americans come to visit all the time. Tony Blair came. Americans keep coming. Uh, Yossi Bellin came and said that it showed him, quote, the Palestinians are starting to think correctly. And the visitors <laughs> all believe it's good and will create, uh, will be good for peace and for the economy. However, he and his constituents have mixed feelings. They support it, quote, quote unquote, they support it, but not in this way and not at this scale. The residents experienced firsthand the reparcelization and incorporation into the Wabi's planning zone. Uh, and he fears that this will leave the wider area open to greater speculation and a form of market-based land seizure. By 2010, at least one homeowner was told to stop building an extension on his home because it was within the planning zone, uh, but really quite far from the site itself, uh, because it was not designed in accordance with the master plan or the still undetermined, unreleased, unwritten rules of the homeowners association. Um, he appealed the decision, and the ministry. So, what happened is the Ministry of Local Government came and revoked his building permit altogether. Um, other landowners were brought into the housing market and had their, their participation limited to two bad options. They could sell to developers, or they could receive compensation from the government. Villagers who owned land in the site footprint were given those offers, and those who refused it were told they could receive fair compensation from a fund uh, in an amount determined by the PA based on pre-Dawabi, pre-speculation land prices. The process supposedly happened very quickly. Land was bought and the reparcelization was expedited, and villagers lost control almost immediately after offers were made. According to the Otaro muni- the <laughs> municipality, compensation came to around eight Jordanian dinars per meter squared, uh, and shortly thereafter, prices tripled. Uh, an official from the Ministry of Local Government claims that the committee set prices at an average of 12 to 20, while some people got as many as 58. So people are talking past each other. Thus, the main village experience of the development is dispossession. One resident made the distinction between economic development and investment. The Wabi, he says, is about investment. It does not help locals. Why build buildings that may remain empty? Why not build factories or support agriculture? Why not help olive farming instead of uprooting trees to build? And in contrast to the potential buyers I interviewed, he suggested that the process of corporatization and subjecting things to the market makes them less stable. The public-private land sale process dispossessed villagers as it enabled opportunities for mobility and long-term participation for potential buyers. If everything is consolidated and can be bought and sold, he asks, uh, what would prevent another company from coming and buying it? What if an Israeli company buys it? The company owns the site footprint, but has control over a lot of privately held land far beyond it. So if there were new ownership, what would happen to those village lands? Interviews with villagers demonstrated a real anxiety about the conflation of capitalist and national goals. Quote, they took so much when I asked the members of in this municipality if locals were getting jobs which is something that the, the developers talk about a lot um, he said there is one job when the project started the developers promised jobs and then they stopped talking about it really I asked not one central one single job and he said actually there's one there's a driver so villages in Arjul speculated that because they they put up a fight against land expropriation and pre- and the projected municipal incorporation, their village was being punished. Another suggested that workers were being hired from more compliant nearby villagers. A third disagreed. The contractors all came mostly from Nablus. The third one was right. The, the second, pardon me, uh, none of the surrounding villages were especially acquiescent and none are well represented on the enormous construction site. Not in 2010 when the work was just beginning, not in 2013 when it was happening on a huge scale. Uh, The municipal president says the villagers assumed from the outset that Nawabi would subsume them, and they tried to exert influence on planning and administrative (coughs) changes. But despite the company's assurances, the councils were not consulted, and whatever information they have about it, they got from the website. The villagers, he says, gave, quote, their land in the middle of Palestine, their vistas looking out over the sea, as far as Syria some days. They gave their good, healthy air the image of a natural Palestine, and they don't anticipate much in return. The hospitals and schools on the site, quote, will be private and unaffordable. If the villages are subsumed within the municipality, uh, quote, we will be zero. But just as, just as important, the privatization of the landscape is, quote, taking them out of history. Villagers couldn't bear to see the name of the area changed. Atara is a Palestinian name. I'm a son of Hatara, not of Rawabi. It says Atara on my, ID, on my ID, on everything. Even the settlers chose the name Ataret to incorporate themselves into the, into the area's history. Uh, And so, I mean, the kinds of dispossession have been material, physical, political, and also cultural. As Dawabi establishes itself in contrast with an existing Palestine and Palestinians, the village experience suggests that many Palestinians will be left behind. The Palestinians who represent the Palestinian identity and live on the land that is fundamental for for the new town and its self-image, who are its neighbors, are excluded. The lobby is forcing villagers into a truncated market relationship where their only choice is to receive minimal compensation for their property or not. They're not participates in the labor market. They increasingly have trouble provisioning or relying on older sources of income derived from the land if they did. Uh, one person said, I used to sell olive oil. Am I supposed to start buying it now? Uh, moreover, privatizing the image of Palestine makes the whole nation unstable in, in their terms. Why would they knock down old houses, he asked. The trees, the songs, the olives are Palestinians, Cultural, a cultural part of our heritage. Why change the name? Why uproot the trees, the symbols of, uh, of Palestinian presence? Developers are targeting Palestinians based on certain ideas of tradition and modernity and rural and urban in the context of privatization of the state. And increasingly, uh, the, village, the villages provide that vision, an image of the shared memory of Palestine and a disappearing reference to it. And so I have this map, that uh the all the tiny little purple are individual plots. There aren't they're not mapped out for the rest of it, but that gives you some sense for how many plots were gerrymandered in. And that's the building that was stalled. I think I should probably start to wrap it up. Okay. Um, so who will live there? Uh who's going to move into the lobby? I have much that, if you want to. Um, The question of affordability is still the, quote, million-dollar question, according to uh, Rami Khouri, who was then running the mortgage financing NGO ML. Uh, Developers work hard to integrate economic and individual political and social concerns, and that's why Palestinian desires for stability and a life beyond the occupation are critical. Developers say that a cultural shift is needed, and they target this middle-class urban population in order to create a class of new buyers moving out of family homes changing their expectations about what housing should be, and entering into mortgage and land markets as nuclear families and individuals, markets that they may have previously engaged more collectively. At least in the short term, there's a mismatch between the growing availability of housing and the pool of willing buyers. So what's happening is developers chip away at the idea that Palestinians are predominantly homeowners. Most young people, according to market research carried out by the Palestinian Investment Fund for a sort of similar and competing real estate development in the most, pal- most young Palestinians do not consider themselves to be homeowners and would move out of family compounds if there was affordable, quote, adequate housing available. However, the Palestinian Central Bureau of Statistics reports that actually more than 80% of Palestinians are homeowners. Normalcy is powerfully appealing to Palestinians, and in this case, normalcy is increasingly framed in terms of class aspiration, consumerism, individual ownership. And these ideas are given shape in the developments and at the same time, they fix and distribute capital investment in Palestine and make different and previously unprofitable parts of the land profitable. Real estate development is, cru- is a critical element in the process of making communities for debts, generating capital from land outside of Area A, and integrating Palestinian into regional and global economies. It enables new forms of social life, capital accumulation, the privatization of international aid, and creating and extracting ground. On a political level, it's enabled and justified by ideas of the housing shortage and, quote, national priority for affordable housing. The president of the Bank of Palestine told me that uh, at that moment, the economy was still developing and there's a need to bring in new industries uh, to to continue to grow. But in order to do that, Palestine needs a financial sector, he says. So the, the two cornerstones of a new economy will be housing and a private pension system. Housing will provide, quote, equity and brick and mortar, jobs, and an increase in consumer spending on white appliances and so on, while the private pension system will provide long-term financing and funding for banks. Eventually, the goal is to create a, high, a high-tech a high sector, uh, to quote, to follow the Israeli model, hopefully. Palestinians, according to him, are now willing to pay down debt monthly, uh, but they're still reluctant to do long-term mortgage financing. He says uh, they don't understand that they, quote, are paying into their own brick and mortar, uh and that there will be capital appreciation. There is a strange ignorance, he says, due in part to, quote, the lack of awareness and people feeling like they're being ripped off. So one of (coughs) the the mortgage NGO's primary goals is to, quote, shift the culture and uh, convince Palestinians to equate long-term debt with stability and regularity rather than uncertainty. So Ahmed has already increased the mortgage market in Palestine fivefold, he says. Um, I'm sure it's more now. But the banks need to be, quote, a part of the shift from traditional, quote, backwards family housing that, again, quote, should be phased out. And so at the same time as they cultivate that shift and integrate people into debt relationships that, as Graeber mentions, are also moral obligations, not simply financial ones. So although the rural areas provide an idea of a fel- sort of a funda- foundational Palestinian-ness, they're increasingly targets of private development NGOs, the private sector, the PA, Habitat, uh, as part of the directive to improve housing in Palestine, uh, sorry, Habitat, as part of the, the directive to improve housing in Palestine, pledges first and foremost to implement the Palestine Reform and Development Fund, which was sort of the first document that kind of laid out a lot of these changes in Palestine, and to work on, quote, strategic for- formulation and in- cover issues like introducing efficient mortgage finance mechanisms, regulatory frameworks for public-private partnership, incentives for growth of a rental market, uh, review of standards, and to define appropriate standards for low and medium income housing, uh, land use, density (coughs) regulations, to optimize the utilization of scarce land. Uh, It argues for a planning approach based on current and already existing uh, colonial planning systems that prohibit villages from spreading. Uh, Habitat proposes granting also substantial authority to the Ministry of Local Government, which is the ministry that's most invested in privatization and decentralizing the government. So there are a lot of critiques of this project, which I guess I don't especially have the time to talk too much about. There are a couple points that I'll just mention. A, a sort of a dominant narrative is that this is this is is that quote this is a our critic and planner. Um, says that Palestinian society is small-scale and family-driven, and that this kind of development is, quote, an external import of a global phenomenon. But I argue that the Rawabia is not an imposition of an external cultural form, but rather it represents the greater integration of Palestine and Palestinians into global markets by accommodating the current conditions of occupation and the imperatives of global capital. Uh, This is a a Palestinian capitalist project that requires growing certain classes and encouraging certain kinds of desires and identities and integrating them into an alternate political economic vision of Palestine. Um, and I think it's a project that has the potential to create widespread and intertwined political, cultural, and economic shifts. So that's kind of the dominant way that it's being critiqued. And I have an argument that I think critics and developers share a sort of uh, an image of rural Palestinianness and modernization that actually implicitly promotes this kind of development. I think that if we understand it as the import of a phenomenon, you sort of you lose sight of the bigger process and the scale and, and sort of how um, investment is actually working and what it's actually doing specifically to change desire and affect, to change the way the government is happening, and so on. So uh, it's a shame I'm not going to read this. I have a great quote where a guy calls it a sterile monstrosity. But I think the point is that this, this development has received a lot of attention in international and Palestinian media. It's well known in the West Bank, but I don't think it's as important as all the attention would imply. And it's important for different, for different reasons that are generally assumed. It's not constitutive of Palestine, nor is it an outside imposition or a Palestinian settlement, simply because of the way it looks. It's a large public indication of one direction in which Palestine is moving, and it will continue to require a huge number of political and practical shifts in Palestine and among Palestinians. Uh, As the construction site becomes a physical place and a conceived space, accounts aggregate to contribute to the way it's described, understood, and received. And so I hope that my account intervenes into the process of space-making through the elaboration of the place where it exists, the political-economic origins, broader relationships, ramifications, and the legal, political, and material changes that it requires and that form around it. I sort of continue on in, in that vein, and I talk about this image of Palestinian rural identity and how the history of that is tied in in a big way to the occupation and the sort of beginning of the Zionist project and the destruction of Palestinian cities and something that might be described as Palestinian urban culture in Jerusalem, Yaffa, and so on. Um, with, I take a lot from something Tamadi has written on this. Um, and I just described that, you know, Palestine has long been part of markets and this is not a new thing. Uh, but it's sort of on process of change and investment